This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Here we go in three, two, one. The title of the book, Phantom Island, Book One, Wind. And the author is Chrissy Dallas. And Chrissy joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Chrissy. Hi. Well, tell us about why you wrote your book, Phantom Island. And and this is the first uh, book of a series of four, I understand. Yes, sir, it is. So tell us why you wrote this book and have this idea for a series. Oh, that is such a great question. <laughs> um, I am first a, a teacher and, of middle schoolers and a wife of a youth minister, so my life is completely surrounded by teenagers. And a lot of that is the time I spend teaching teenagers literature and discussing literature. And so just, you know, being around teenagers day in and day out in my personal life and in my professional life, um, just kind of decided I wanted to write a book um, that would really engage their attention, um, that would capture their imagination, and something that I could discuss, you know, in my classroom and, and help the kids learn from. So that's really where I started with it. And you love the TV show Lost. Yeah, Lost well, is a pop culture phenomenon, and my husband and I totally get into the, you know, coming up with theories for what's really been going on, you know, for the last however many seasons, and um, so I just kind of started playing with that idea of, of an island, a magical island, and uh, did a little bit of research on the internet um, with conspiracy theories related to the show, or, you know, just in general, what, what was out there about lost islands or lands. And so I just kind of came up with this idea of, of a phantom island, but, you know, having this love for teenagers, I thought, well, what would it be like if um, a group of teenagers found an island that had this magical element to it, and how would they be connected to it in their real life, and, and what would their backstory be with that? And so that's really kind of the inspiration for the, the actual uh, subject matter. Now, it's very, very different from Lost, um, but, yeah, definitely a Lost fan. <laughs> Well, tell us, uh, who are the main characters? Okay, the main characters are Caleb, Whitney, and Morgan. And the story is actually told from Whitney's perspective. Um, She is a 17-year-old girl who is going back to summer camp with her two best friends. And, uh, you know, it's a camp that the three of them met at. And so right from the get-go in this story, you really get a feel for these three main characters and the friendship that they have and... Um, the loyalty that they have to each other. Um, Whitney is somewhat of a dramatic, um, sometimes quirky teenage girl. Um, she is based on me in a lot of ways. And uh, and then, of course, her two best friends are also kind of have the basis of some people in my life, too. And So that's really where it starts, and it, it is. It's a character story. I mean, these characters drive the heart behind the story, even with all of its magical elements. It's really about these these three people. So this is an unknown adventure, which always captivates young people. So kind of just in general, give us some of the setting, uh, you know, and where it takes these young people. Well, like I said, they start out um, at a summer camp, um, and, and they're back there as employees. Um, they're, they're basically mentors who are uh, like a big brother, big sister to troubled preteens. So that's what this camp is all about, called Camp Fusion in the book. And so they're, um, they're there working. And like I said, when they'd met there before, um, it was because the three of them had actual were troubled preteens and had actually experienced some pretty traumatic experiences in their life um, at that point. And so um, they're really kind of seeing a lot of <laughs> their younger selves in these campers that they're reaching out to. So while they're there... Um, they start seeing some weird things going on, and, and it's really all in Whitney's mind. She starts seeing these haunting visions across the other side of the river uh, at their camp, which is located on the Frio River in Texas, and that was a place that I grew up camping at. So 
it was in the book, the, the imagery and the descriptions there are very real to that particular place. Um, but yeah, they're seeing these visions and things going on, and so it kind of drives this question of what is actually on the other side of the river here at camp. And you're trying to set up uh, situations where these teenagers have to make very uh, uh, just comprehensive decisions that deal with obviously good choices and uh, and living their lives without regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, teenagers are at their adolescence in general is just kind of this crazy time in life and. Um, you know, where kids are really becoming young adults. They're learning um, what they want to be about, what, what their own set of beliefs and ideas and, are. And so really you're, you're watching these, these teenagers going through that on top of wanting to, to change the world, wanting to make good choices. Um, they, they're genuinely unselfish characters. I mean, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're not perfect. Um, so a lot of the times with these, these characters, you're, you know, they have to extend a lot of love and forgiveness to each other for different things. But, um, yeah, particularly in some of the campers, we have two campers, uh, preteen campers that kind of get involved in the story once they cross to the other side of the river to see what's over there. And um, particularly in those two campers, you start to see um, this idea of, you know, learning to make good choices and, and how your attitude affects the way you look at life. Um, so, that, yeah, that's a huge theme in the book. And you also have a, um, well, you've, you've kind of made, it, made this interactive with uh, a website. Tell us about all of that and how that works with the book. Okay, my website, uh, ChrissyDallas.com, is, um, it's so much fun. <laughs> and it basically, um, we, we started out the idea for the website centered around a picture I had taken one time when I had pink highlights last summer. And so from there, we kind of got to design this whole funky, fun, you know, pink and gray and black and white all in the on the website. But um, So it's really indicative of my personality, I think, on the website. But there, from the website, you can see, um, you know, what tribe you belong to, which we haven't really talked a lot about, about the tribes. I don't know if you wanted to get into that. Um, but, yeah, the website is interactive in the sense that it lets you kind of discover where you fit in a book like this. Um, it is an adventure book. It is um, a mysterious book. There's suspense. There's drama, teenage drama. Um, there's also, you know, romance and um, just a whole plethora of different things in a book like this. So, you know, on the website, that's a chance for everybody to kind of go on there and see how they fit into all that. And um, there's descriptions of the tribes on there. There's pictures of the events we've done. Um there are, um, let's see, there's pictures of art that has been done and uh, that was inspired by the book. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of things. And that's at ChrissyDallas.com. Yes. Chrissy, K-R-I-S-S-I, Dallas.com. Absolutely, yes. Now tell us about these four tribes which are on this island and, and their magical powers. Okay. Um, yeah, without ruining too much about it, we... Um, the, the characters do actually cross the river, and they um, wake up on the beautiful and mysterious White Island. And uh, one of the first people they meet on the island is Gabriel, and he is a very attractive, beautiful love interest. Um, but he, we, we soon find out that he is part of the Pyradora tribe, which is a tribe on the island that controls fire. And so from him, we start learning all of this information about the island and um, basically, the island is set up with uh, four tribes. Each one represents one of the four elements, wind, water, earth, and fire. And um, basically, on the island, people are born into one tribe. And when they're born, they have a birthmark on their shoulder that identifies the tribe they're born into. And so with that comes this ability to manipulate that particular life force, as it's called in the book, which is the element. Um, Whitney is, is learning at her, you know, beginning stages of being on the um, island that she relates most to the Wind Tribe. And so when you have these five characters from the real world that we all know, 
land on this magical island, you start to notice how they all relate to a different tribe. They all, um, because the tribes revolve not just around that element, but really kind of a, a personality, a, a sense of how you relate to the world around you. So it's kind of fun because as they're experiencing that, as the characters are experiencing the island and finding out where they fit on it, the reader, too, is sitting there going, okay, where would I be here? You know, would I, would I be a part of the water tribe? Am I more like them? Um, so, so based on your personality as a reader, how you would fit in with one of the tribes and what you would be attracted to? Yeah, it's really, and, and I do, I, I hate saying personality because even though I do, it's really not even that much of personality. It's kind of like a way of relating to people and the world around you. For example, the Eridorians, which is the wind tribe, um, they are, you know, more of your creative, thinking, um, dramatic personality kind of people. Um, they're good leaders, uh, and, and they, you know, just kind of, I kind of just started with the elements and thought, what is this element like and how would people identify with it? And like wind, you know, is very free and has to have space to move and breathe. And so um, the the Eridorians, you know, don't like to be suffocated. They don't like to be, you know, uh, kind of quelched in any way in their creative and artistic desires. Then you have the Geodorians, which are the earth people, and they are down to earth. We kind of started with that. You know, just like the earth is pretty stable and and always there and loyal to us. I mean, that's kind of how the earth people are, the Geodorians. So they're more logical, reasonable um, people. They're also good leaders just in a different way than the Eridorians are. Um, the Hydradorians are the water people, and they're kind of, you know, just kind of like the element of water. It takes the shape of whatever container it's in, kind of like how these people are. <laughs> they're the kind of people that um, get along with anybody. I mean, they can kind of blend in with whoever they're around, they also just like to have fun, and uh, they're kind of peaceful. They're the tribe that actually gets along with all of the tribes on the island. And then our Pyridorians, which is our fire people. Um, just like the element of fire, I kind of thought, you know, fire can easily get out of control. It's very useful, and it's good to have, um, but if it's not contained, in, you know, in a proper way, it gets kind of crazy. So our, our Pyras are kind of like that. They're... Um, emotional, passionate people, um, artistic. Um, they're just the feelings kind of people. So um, anyway, and as I said before, Gabriel, the first person we meet, is a Pyra. So he's, um, he gives us a good indication of how Pyras operate a lot of the time. Well, since this is a mystery, suspense, n- uh, novel, and an adventure, there must be some antagonists in this Story. Of course, every good story has them. Tell us about a couple of those, just in general. Well, um, I mean, every story has to have conflict in so many different forms, and I think that conflict, uh, you know, either brings out the best or the worst in our characters. So, um, you know, a lot of conflict centers in the beginning, you know, in part one of the book when they're on camp, you know, camp centers around uh, Whitney and her relationship with Amelia, this camper that is just a total brat. And uh, for a good reason, she's got a lot of problems in her life. She's got a lot of things going on um, that she's acting out. And so we have an antagonizing relationship initially there, which is one of the um, subplots of this whole story that you really see that relationship kind of grow and change. And as the characters grow and change and experience more together, just like, you know, how we are in real life with people. Um, There's also this... uh, conflict between Whitney and Caleb, who is her best guy friend who came with her to camp. Um, He is in that stage of starting to like Whitney as more than just a friend, and a lot of people can identify with how that goes down. It's kind of a weird deal, and there's weird, awkward moments between the two of them, and so she's trying to figure out what she feels about that. Just when that's kind of starting to um, bloom, I guess, um, she lands on the island and meets Gabriel. So that complicates things for Whitney quite a bit, too. Um, Now, as far as, like, our evil antagonist in the book, that is for readers to experience and to decide because um, on this island, not everybody is exactly as they seem to be at first. And I think that a lot of the book is readers trying to figure out who do I trust here and who do I not trust, and who is really genuinely looking out for these characters' best interests, and who is just trying to manipulate them into their own um, plan. 
So, you know, but yeah, there are definitely some great antagonists on the island, but I can't reveal them. <laughs> That's okay. And of course, uh, you know, the characters all have individual secrets and motivations and knowledge oh, yeah. or the lack thereof of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we, we get to see all kinds of emotions in each of, uh, really in their dialogue, right? I mean, that's been the, the exciting part of this is the dialogue. Yeah, you know, I get that a lot from readers is how real the dialogue feels to them. And, and you know, the only thing I have to say to that is when, when my whole life is, is around teenagers, that's all I know how to talk is teenage talk. I mean, you know, I know how the jokes that are there, I know how, um, you know, the slang that we use. I mean, it's just something I, I'm a part of every day. So um, it was really easy to write these great lines of dialogue. And, and you know, when teenagers or anybody, for that matter, wants to read a book, they want to read dialogue that's, you know, that's quotable and stuff that that they wouldn't mind repeating or that really, you know, engages them in who this character is. So, yeah, dialogue is huge in this book. Um, and you mentioned, you know, just the motivations of characters. I mean, I think that that's a challenge of a writer, especially in a book like this, that this a series. Um, you know, I got into a lot of, once I established the island and, and what the history of the island was and where I'm heading in the series. Like, I had to know all of that up front in this first book so that I could properly display what each character really knows on the island and what they don't know, um, as, you know, as far as uh, their motivations and their manipulations. So that was kind of hard, but, you know, that's why it's fun on the second read-through. If somebody goes back and reads it again, you know, they tell me, oh, I just noticed so much more than I did the first time because... First time, you're trying to figure it out with the characters. The second time, you know who's really what, and then you go back and go, oh, my gosh, there were the signs right there, 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 and there. So it's kind of fun. Well, it sounds like, as you put it, a great adventure with a mystery, romance, comedy, and suspense. So we appreciate you sharing this with us on Author Talk, Chrissy. Thanks for having me on here. That was author Chrissy Dallas with her book, Phantom Island, book one, Wind. The first book of a four-book series. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinoteca, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature, and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's Best Coffee. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. 
Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Daniel Goes to Preschool, and the author is Gail Hardgrave, and Gail joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Gail. Good morning. Well, this is a very cute story uh, dealing with a very serious concern by uh, a preschooler. Obviously, first day of school is pretty traumatic. So why did you, you know, take the time to put this kind of a story together? We've all seen it. We've experienced it with our kids. Uh, Why did you go take the extra step? Well, there were several reasons. First of all, the story is based on Daniel is actually my son that attended preschool. And I took some of the experiences that uh, we had and his feelings and my feelings when he started preschool. And on top of that, I taught preschool for 15 years. And I would see the children coming in uh, nervous and, and apprehensive and the parents nervous to leave them. And, I, you know, for a couple of years I kept thinking teachers need a, a book, a tool that can help them and parents to help them to, to assist the children in understanding that it's okay to feel that way and that's natural and that how we can deal with it and, and make them feel more comfortable as well as the parents. Um, and I, I wanted to incorporate ideas that teachers and parents could use at home, such as asking questions to the children, such as giving them ideas to use at the end of the story where they could they could uh, extend that into more activities that could help the child to be more comfortable when they get ready to go to school that first day. Well, children are always excited about going to school. Uh, you know, it's a because it's that I guess that next step in their life, and they know that's something they need to do, and they wanna they want to do it. But it's a really for a little guy or a little gal. It's just a, a there's some fears there. I guess just because of the unknown, right? Right. And, and as in the book, it starts out that morning, Daniel is very excited because he has his new backpack and he has some cl- new clothes. Oh, and, that's right. And, of course, that's all part of it. Too. Right. And he's yeah. just excited, running down the hall, ready to go. And, you know, then they get in the car and then the realization sits in that he is going to school. And that's when the, his excitement turns to sadness and, and he's, he's, a, he's starting to get, get some fears and, and a little scared about this new uh, experience that he's getting ready to embark on. So obviously in your 15 years of teaching preschoolers, you unfortunately saw some kids that just kind of had meltdowns. Yes, very, very much so. Um, you know, and sometimes it would be, the meltdowns would be possibly a day or two, and sometimes it would take us longer. And it, it it just depended on how prepared the child was before they got to school, and that's why I think this book's important for for teachers to share with children that are going from, say, a classroom, uh, a childcare setting, into pre preschool to get them ready for that step over the summer, and also to have this in the hands of parents that can tell this story to the children prior to dropping them off at school, where maybe it could ease those those tensions when they do get to school, because it is traumatic. I've seen children, uh, you know, have a really hard time adjusting, and and just it takes a lot of, of one-on-one time and talking to the parents about what to do at home to get them ready. And I think this book will help ease that if, we can, if I can get it in the hands of parents and teachers prior to the children starting school. Well, and of course... There's a in your story. There's a there's a couple different uh, experiences that Daniel has. One is to know that his mom isn't just going to drop him off and leave him. I mean, there's there's a there's you know because he asked the questions, can you stay with me at school? Well, of course she can't stay there all day long, but right, right. but you know she she does spend a little time. Uh-huh. reassuring him and taking him into school. And, that, and that's probably, uh, I mean, that obviously that is a tough thing on the mom and a tough thing on the child, and somehow that has to be dealt with. 
Yes, and I think uh, a lot of times in my 15 years, I've seen parents think that maybe it's easier if they sneak out and not say goodbye to the child, and that's not the case. The child needs to know that, you know, when, once they get to school, I'm going to stay for a little while, and then they need to have that 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 last goodbye and, and a little ritual with them, that like the kiss goodbye or the hug goodbye, and then that to ensure them that they the parent will be back to pick them up, but that they have to go on with their day instead of sneaking out, and then all of a sudden the child realizes that their parent's not there. So there there needs to be, even before you get to school, for the parents to discuss with their child what's going to happen when they get there. You know, we're going to go, I'm going to stay for a little while with you and show you around your room, and then I've got to go, and I'll be back to pick you up. So that way the child knows what to expect, and it's not a surprise, and they get there, and all of a sudden they're left alone. And in your story, Daniel also recognizes a friend from his neighborhood. Yes, and I think that, you know, if you, anytime, that helps to ease the transition because, you know, now he sees He's first excited when he gets up in the morning. Then he's very apprehensive and scared. And then when he gets there, he sees familiar a familiar face, and it sort of eases his tension. So he's, he knows he's not going to be alone. And I think if if parents could find out, you know, sort of who's going to be in their class and what the you know meet the teacher prior to that first day, it's going to help that anxiety of the child also. But I think uh, in Daniel's case, it was a small community. And it was easy for him to recognize other children from his community because it was such a small area. But uh, it always helps when you have the familiar. Uh, the, the child can see something familiar uh, within that room. So. Now, why did you incorporate uh, some vocabulary exercise in Spanish, uh, you know, just helping to know a different word right. in Spanish? I, uh, at first, I drew upon that my personal experience because Daniel's father is Hispanic, so he, we grew up knowing some Spanish uh, vocabulary. So that was the first thing. But I worked with so many children over the 15 years, being from Texas, that were bilingual, and and I wanted to make them. It's important to make them feel comfortable in the classroom and to incorporate. Uh, just a few vocabulary words that they can relate to makes them feel secure and safe in the classroom and would also ease that transition for them. Also, I found over the years teaching that the children, uh, the parents of children that uh, only speak English were very interested in their children picking up some Spanish words. So this would work in the reverse. For So the English-speaking children could start to pick up some Spanish words and become partially bilingual, and they could communicate some with the children that don't speak English. So it helps both uh, of all the children to become familiar with a different language and to communicate with each other better and to make the children feel safe and secure. At the end of your book, you have some additional ideas for some activities that uh, the parent could do with the child that is struggling. Uh, Share a few of those with us. Okay. Um, one of them is, I, I added this part because, um, first of all, teachers, it's important that when we're using literacy in the classroom that we not just tell the story and put it on the shelf, that we have some some uh, activities that support the skills and the concepts of the story. And with a parent, it also gives them the opportunity to interact with their child and teach them some of the concepts of the book. One of them is... Uh, a main point in my book is, of course, uh, expressing feelings. You know, we're sad, we're happy, we're excited, we're scared. And so uh, it's easy to use a mirror with children and have them make facial expressions, say uh, a, a word like happy, and then you both, you and the either the parent or the teacher can look into the mirror and you can make a happy face or sad. And so make them understand uh, what it looks like and connecting the facial expressions with the uh, actual feeling. Another one is uh, after you tell the story, have the children draw their favorite part of the story. Uh, their favorite part may be getting up and putting their backpack on. Uh, their favorite part may in the book is meeting James at school, his friend. Uh, I would hope maybe the favorite part would be when he uh, tells his mom goodbye and says he's going to be okay because he's, he's a little more confident. 
but just a draw, and the, that connects the telling of the story with actually the written word and, and, and that you can draw and write what you're feeling. So it helps the children to convey that message in a different media. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's another one that, that I think is very, uh, uh, very useful is to take a small backpack and fill it with various supplies that the child will need for pre-K and discuss them with the children and, and talk about what's in the backpack. And then you return the items to the backpack and then each child, and this is more like a classroom activity, put their hand in the backpack and, and pick up something and then guess what it is. And then they can weigh them. Uh, you can bring math into that. You can record the answers and then you can fill the backpack back up after the activity and place it in one of the areas for the children to play with and act out coming to school with their backpack, which always helps for children to act out in uh, dramatic play areas uh, how they're feeling. Well, Gail, any concluding thoughts about the importance of your book for helping children on their first day at preschool? I just think it's very, it's very important that teachers and parents acknowledge these feelings because we know children have these feelings, and we, the, it's important that children understand it's okay to be scared to go to school. It's okay to be worried, but it's how we handle that and how we talk to the children and explain it to them and support them and give them the, the confidence that they need to be successful. And I think by using my book uh, and reading it to the children prior to going to school, it's going to help them to understand that it is okay to be a little scared. But and also parents, it's okay for us to be a little worried, but it, it, it will be okay and that the book will help them to cope with that and to learn that it is okay and that they can deal with that when they get to school and, and get into a routine and to love school. Because if you just drop a child off and, and, and not have that routine and have that preparation before, it could give them a negative effect on learning. So you want to make sure it's the, the experience is as positive as possible. And I think through my book, it can help children and parents and teachers to give that experience to children. Gail, how do we get your book, Daniel Goes to Preschool? You can order my book through uh, the website, the publisher. It's www.arthurhouse.com, and you just type in either my name, Gail Hardgrave, or Daniel Goes to Preschool, and it'll take you directly to my book. Or you can go to my website, which is www.gkconsulting.net, and I have a page about my book on my website. You can click on the link, and you can order the book from there. And I'm sure you can get the book also through other online bookstores. Yes, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Ingram. Yes, there's lots of places online that you can get it also. Well, Gail, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Well, thank you for taking the time to interview me. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. That was Gail Hardgrave. She is the author of her children's book, Daniel Goes to Preschool. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives?, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives? is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. 
So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Everything Men Have Learned About Women, and the author is Frank Portera, and Frank joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Frank. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, this book has... Uh, I guess this book has everything that a man could imagine, right? And imagine is a great word. Yes, I would say that. You're trying to help men to understand the cold, hard facts about women. Yes, that is correct. And to really get us to think. That's more of the whole basic premise of the book is, is to open some thought prerogative, you know, or, or, you know, just to get things out in the open to where... Well, you know what? You might think you know something, but that's basically when, when everything you know uh, falls apart. And, and maybe you, you know haven't something. thought about it enough. And maybe you haven't thought about it enough. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the case with most men. No, that's <laughs> you know? true. <laughs> I think they think about it quite often, you know. But uh, unfortunately, it, it, over my experiences, you know, talking to other men, it, it comes down to the same same frustrations of, man, no matter how much I think about it, no matter how much I try to put it in perspective or anything else, it's still just, you know, it's a frustrating thing, you know, trying to figure out, you know, the people we love the most, you know, women. And so we're always looking for answers. We're definitely always looking for answers. I think we've been looking for answers since we, uh, you know, chiseled the first wheel, you know, and uh, at that time we're chiseling, I bet if anything, he was thinking about a woman. So, so you you say this all this book is doing is stating the obvious and then you say it's a fun approach about how much men have learned about their co- counterpart. Yes. So comment on that. Okay. Well, basically the reason why it's a fun approach is because men basically haven't learned anything about women. Or if they have, it's been the same thing that we keep learning over and over and over. And then that is, we haven't learned anything. That's about the only thing we have learned. Um, or, and in most cases, haven't learned. So with this, with this type of book, I'm bringing, you know, basically uh, everything up front, saying, you know what? So what do you do now? You know, maybe this book is about, you know, the fact that we haven't learned anything, so what's the next step? So do you keep beating your head against the wall? Or do you actually, you know, embrace it, you know, and say, okay, you know what? This has been going on for thousands of years. We've been trying to, to figure out women, you know. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, maybe it's time to come to the realization that maybe that we're not supposed to figure them out. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. Maybe it would know? be too dull and boring if we figured them out, right? It would be too dull and boring. It I mean, there wouldn't be any surprises. There wouldn't be any excitement. And that's what makes life, you know. And, and to come to that realization, it's a, it's a nice thing, you know. Um, and then you could embrace that, you know. That, that's your learning experience is to know that, you know what, you're really never going to have all the answers that you want, or at least most of them that you want. You know, you might find out, oh, yeah, little things, she likes flowers on her birthday, or, you know, she likes this or that, or she, you know, prefers, you know, diamonds to, you know, gold or rubies or anything else, but that's easy stuff. But to actually sit in there and figure out, you know, why a woman is the way she is, 
that's the special thing that keeps men going, you know. And as frustrating as it may seem, you know, that's the key. You think men can focus long enough to do that? Well, I am, that's what I'm hoping this book provides, is focus. You know, by having this book, I mean, this is a realization. The book is a statement. You have it on your coffee table. You have it on the bookshelf. You know, you keep it in plain sight, basically, so she knows you're trying. And, uh, you know, with that, it's a reminder. It's like uh, tying a string around your finger, you know, to remind yourself, hey, wait a second, you know what, let's not get so crazy all the time, you know. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's figure out, you know, what's really going on here. This is a person I love and I want to be with, you know. And basically, we're talking about, you know, your significant other. Um, but it, it's, it's the same, you know, with all women, you know, is trying to understand. And this book helps you realize that there might not be as much to understand as you would like. So, you know, go for the best. And maybe the power of your book is the fact that you carry it around and make sure women see you with the book. That's uh, actually, you know what, that's that. That actually says it in the book. You gotta, you gotta keep this book in plain sight, you know, so she could, she, she knows you're trying, you know, because I think that's a big mis- misconception of women is that they think that men don't care to try, don't want to try, and boy, that's the complete opposite of you know myself and you know my friends that that I have is we're always trying to, hey, men, we like to fix things, right? So, so I mean, basically. You know, you don't want to fix something that isn't broken, you know. So basically, it's a, it's a, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a good thing to have that, that reminder that uh, this is the way, you know, it's supposed to be and, and embrace it instead of fight it. You say that readers really need to read the preface and the summary to get the full meaning of the book. Yes. That's critical. That is, that is, well, I'll tell you what. If you got to think of, and as I was writing the book, you know, the preface and the summary, I'm thinking to myself, well, you can't have something that somebody just goes walk. What is the first thing people do when they go to buy a book? They they go up, they look at the cover, you know, it's got to be eye-catching, eye-appealing, and then they flip through the pages, you know. And, uh, you know, basically, you flip through the pages of this book, and you're going to come away with, you know, <laughs> your your thoughts right away, you know. But until you read the preface and the summary, I guarantee you that the whole way you think about, you know, the, what's behind this book um, is going to change. And it's going to change for the better. I've had situations where I've told people about the book and had some negative feedback, you know. And then it's like, well, wait, wait till you read the preface and summary, you know. And then you get that. And a person will sit there and read it and then, and then chuckle as they read and they, wow, you know, shake their head and nod, yes, you know, wow, you really nailed it there. And then when they're done, it's like, you know what, that is really something else because it, it puts everything in a whole new light, you know. So the contents of the book is more of a message than, than anything else, more of a statement. This book isn't about the differences between men and women, you say. It's really, uh, and you say it this way, a quintessential summary of what men have learned by reading books that explain the differences between men and women. So that's what your book is, this summary. That's basically what it is. It's a summary of what you get when you read all the predominant uh, relationship books. You know, you could, you could go through, um, you know, Barnes & Nobles or, you know, any other bookstore or Amazon and, and buy every book that has been written about how you know, women want to be treated and how to treat women, how to be there for them, how, what they want from you. And basically, um, you're reading, I mean, you only could take so much from a book. And, you, and the big message is, is you walk away from that book thinking, okay, I've got it done. You know, I read this book and I've got it figured out. And you know what, I'm ready to go to work and, and start making everything better. But I really think that, that it's a, it's a, it's a misconception to think, to think that by reading, you know, your typical self-help book that you're going to have all the answers, you know. And there are plenty out there. And there are plenty out there, and the answers change all the time, and I think that's what makes it so difficult, you know, for men is because not one woman is alike, you know. Now, they're alike in many ways, of course, but, I mean, in the fact that your relationship, we're human, you know, and guys are pretty simple 
human being, you know. Uh, basically, um, you know, you throw a scenario in front of them, and nine times out of ten, you're going to get the same out of, out of a guy, you know. Um, you throw that same scenario in front of a woman, you're going to have ten different views of how, you know, they go about it, they handle it, and they'll tell you why, too. Um, and it's funny because, you know, writing this book, my wife was, uh, she's very supportive of it, you know, and uh, which, thank God, and that's why I love her. And she, uh, she, she basically admits the fact that, yeah, you know what, <laughs> sometimes she always has a consa- consistent um, drive, but how it gets there, you know, is kind of a different route every time. So to figure out that route is almost impossible because they don't know that route until they get there, if that makes sense. You say that, you know, when men combine the life lessons that they've learned over the years, and you take this book, and that the book exemplifies the statement, if less is more, <laughs> nothing <laughs> is priceless. Nothing is priceless. That. And, that, and isn't that the truth? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and of course that book, you know, that, that tells you right there that, uh, you know, nothing is priceless. Well, I'm sure our listeners uh, are really gleaning a lot of wisdom from all your insights and your experiences and are really anxious to know more about the book. Well, I hope so. How much of a man's own experiences can they read into the book? I think it's safe to say that every experience a man had had, had, has, have had, every experience a man has had, um, can relate to, to that book. And you might look at those experiences that you've had, and you might think of them in a completely different way, you know, because of, of the book. And that's what I mean by keeping the book with you, keep it around, keep it in plain sight, because it's a reminder that you might go through the same situation again, but look at it in a more lighthearted, understanding way than you did before. So I think every situation a man is in with a woman could be attributed to making it better by having this book in your possession. You say that your book tells it like it is. It's simple, a very fast, fun read. Yeah, I think so. That's an understatement, isn't it? Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, you know what? It is a fast, it's a fun read, and but I think you get more out of that fast and fun read than you would if you were going to have a, a novel that was, you know, Three four hundred pages long, explaining every detail of you know what a woman wants and what she doesn't want, and you know trying to uh, fine tooth comb you know a personality trait or a behavior trait. And uh, I definitely think you'll get much more out of this because it puts it in a simplistic form, you know. So after a, a man reads, or a woman, I guess maybe women would be interested in this as well. I I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, the, the friends and family and, and some of the people that, I've, that I have, that I know have the book, um, and women too, I was surprised because I, I thought that same thing at first. was like, oh, you know what, this is perfect for guys, you know, they're going to understand. But then, you know what, as women read it, it's like, wow, this is great. I can't wait to give it to my husband. I can't wait to give it to my son, you know, uh, my boyfriend, whoever, you know. And uh, it was really neat because, you know, I, we have... Uh, we have a few people, that, you know, that live around in the neighborhood that, uh, you know, basically young guys, you know, and man, it was, it was, uh, it went over very well with them because, you know what, they understand even at a young age, you know, that, uh, wow, you know what, you nailed it right on the head, you know, this is, this is great, you know, and actually the book, I think, does better for a person who has, you know, a girlfriend or a wife or, you know, a significant other that, you know, they could relate the book to with them. You sit down and have some really great discussions on why, you know, it is the way it is. You know, why we haven't learned that much about women. And after you read the summary, what, what kind of, uh, how would you sum up the format of the book? Or after reading the preface, how would you sum up that? After you sum up the preface, I think you would feel that now you don't have to be as discouraged as, you always were or had been in the past and that you're not alone, you know, because this is basically, you know, a book that, you know, all men will share and 
you know, I'll tell you what, you give, you know, a group of guys this book and you leave them in a room for a while, you're going to come away with some great stories and, and uh, some great resolutions, you know, to a lot of mishaps in relationships just because, you know, the book kind of brings men together in the fact that, you know what, hey, you know what, you're right. We haven't learned anything about women. That's just the it way really, it is. It really gets men talking to each other about, you know, uh, all the insights that really they already know, but maybe they've never really thought about it enough. Men are really good at keeping things in the, in the, in the background in their minds, you know, and it takes a lot of uh, prodding and prying in special circumstance to pull that forward. You know, and I think definitely with this book here, it, it, it's a vehicle to actually, you know, bring some thought forward and, and start, you know, evaluating how you think, you know, and how you feel and, and how you portray women and, and just, uh, you know, I, I mean, of course I wrote the book. I'm very pro, <laughs> pro everything men have learned about women. Uh, but I truly believe that, you know, this book will definitely give you um, the confidence and the new insight on how to make your relationship better. It's self-revealing, so to speak. Yes, it is. Well, Frank, we really appreciate you being on Author Talk. Uh, tell us how to get your book. Well, you could get it on uh, authorhouse.com. Uh, you could also get it on uh, barnesandnoble.com and Amazon. And uh, we're just starting our media and press releases, so hopefully we'll have it in some stores real soon. But basically the Internet right now is a good way to get it and then... Uh, you know, as time goes by, we'll ha- hopefully have it out on the market real soon. Well, thanks again, Frank. Great to meet you and great to talk about your book, Everything Men Have Learned About Women. <laughs>